0: Welcome to episode 116. Today Dr. James Coda and Dr. Lea Jiang share why and how we should queer second language instruction. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families.
1: Your beautiful smile, your beautiful
0: I still remember the first time I shared with my students that I was gay. My eighth graders and I were in an advisory time to check in on how a weekend was. As the protocol goes, each student around the circle talks about their weekend and we ask them questions. Once the student to my right was finished sharing, it would be my turn to share my weekend. My heart was pumping and I was thinking, should I share what I did with my boyfriend during this weekend? Because we went on a short road trip. I just didn't want to hide this part of me from my students who I've been with for years now anymore. So I told them about the road trip. They asked me questions about it. Nothing magical happened after I told the story. But with one act, I modeled vulnerability and reinforced a safe culture where everyone knows they belong. This is what Dr. Coder and Dr. Jiang will talk about in regards to querying language instruction. Now, on to today's podcast. So welcome Dr. Coda and Dr. Jian to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having us today. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here.
0: <laughs> Would you start off with telling us, each, each of you telling us a story about a time that you've worked with a multilingual or a queer student that has really informed your practice.
1: Okay, sounds good. Um, so in terms of a story that, um, that in, in relation to a multilingual student or a queer student that I have worked with, I'm just going to go, um, I have a few actually. So I will start with the most recent one which was from the fall semester of two thousand twenty. So this was right after the pandemic started, and so um, so I was teaching in the intensive English program at the University of Georgia, and so um, basically to give you some context, so we were this was a listening speaking class, um, and this was a, s- a small class during this time because you know we were in the in the midst of the beginning of the pandemic, so. Um. So anyway, so basically um, in this class, I had a student, and I'm just not going to give you their name just to protect their um, identity. But So this student wasn't ever overtly out with me, um, but I think that they could tell that, um, well, also, first of all, by my research publications, the dis- class discussions that I had with them, the topics that I focused on. Um, they, they knew that I was someone, um, they, they knew they could tell that I was a gay man. And so in this class, we, for example, in this listening speaking class, I'm going to go to this um, one moment in time, which is we were watching a video um, that was just part of our unit. And so this was just a short video. They were doing some little um, activity while they were watching in the video. And so during this video, and I had watched this video before, and I was sitting there and, I'm, and I was kind of making my own little notes. And then I hear this um, the person on the video make a gendered comment. And what do I mean by that? So the person said, um, and this person was being interviewed by, it was on one of the national news stations. And so the person said, well, men um, or women need cr- trust and connection, men are competitive. And so this is a very, very, you know, gendered statement. And so this student spoke up after that actually, um, and started to engage in a conversation with me about it. And also I stopped the video and it was a time for me to basically say, hey, so let's let's talk about this, this statement that was just made. And, I, and as one who, you know, advocates for queer theory, queer pedagogies in the classroom, this was a moment when I, basically let this kind of slip through almost let this heteronormativity go in question. But it was that student that kind of spoke up and said, okay, so, hey, um, let's talk about this. And so with, so not only with this student, but with the rest of the class, we led a discussion around gender norms. So I had them examine gender norms from their um, countries and cities. So what, what do they, you know, we made some lists, we, and then we also compared that with what we have learned about gender norms in the US too to see if they were similar, if there were contrasts, et cetera, et cetera. And so really it culminated in a very nice, we didn't do any of the other activities that I had planned that day. But I was really glad that we did that because it was way, first of all, to interrogate gender norms in the classroom. Um, The students were using the language to um, emphasize their own points of view and also their background and cultural knowledge in relation to gender norms. And then um, also it was just a way um, to really start thinking about how, and I've implemented queer theory, quite queer pedagogies in my classrooms before. This is really a way for me to think about, okay, so even though I advocate for this, and this is something that I feel very strongly about that should be part of every classroom, even people you know that have the best intentions sometimes can fall a little short Okay, and 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 meaning that you know I, I almost left this go unquestioned, but it was through that student um, as well as um, our class discussion that it was not left unquestioned, and also after the class the student and I had a dis- discussion in and around gender norms and these type of topics too. Mm-hmm. So um, I hope that it was. I feel that after this, this was a this was a way for. This was a way to it it bridged or encouraged a connection even further with this student
0: and that student was brave enough to stop and say, hey, can we talk about this comment? And like the person felt safe enough to be in that environment uh, to really question that. So everything's a teaching moment. and It's great that you were able to use that as a teaching moment.
2: Thank you, James, uh, for sharing your uh, story. I think, yeah, that's really impressive. And uh, from my part, uh, last year, I was uh, collaborating with a teacher in a, a rural area. And she is a ELA teacher uh, in a middle school, English language arts. And uh, uh, while we were working, like we trust each other. And uh, she told me she identified a couple of students who are uh, LGBTQIA students in her classrooms. <clears throat> but uh like uh she told me like uh that the environment overall is not very uh friendly and uh, uh, she is straight and she knows i'm straight but she knows like i work uh work on like uh diversity equity uh and uh, inclusion like in education so she reached out to me and she asked like what kind of practice she could uh uh Adopt in her class to make sure like uh, the students feel uh, respected and feel welcome in her classroom and uh, uh yeah i'm really thankful because uh, james used to recommend a lot of wonderful research uh in in this area queering education so i shared research with her and uh she tried to like uh talk with these students privately and uh, uh, try to make her comments and make her uh, lessons, like also friendly and uh, inclusive, uh, like uh, of student for students of diverse backgrounds, including like uh, students of uh, LGBTQIA plus backgrounds. Yeah. So this kind of experience makes me realize like uh, it's important for us to be aware, to have this kind of uh, critical self-awareness because some students, if they trust you, they might share their stories with you. But other students, like we might need to be really uh, proactive and advocate uh, for students, yeah.
0: The thing that's both similar in both of your stories is there was an advocate, right? There was someone that stood up and someone that asked, hey, I need help with this. And someone came to get resources to learn more. And then, and then in James, your story talked about you were that advocate and that student stood up. And that, like that's what we need. So let's go towards the second question of why do schools and teachers of multilingual students uh, need to think about uh, queering education.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm always happy uh, to follow your uh, preferences. Would you like to begin, James? Or you would?
1: Yeah, I don't mind. Um, So (laughs) why should they care about queer representation? So we talk um, about um, making sure that we are inclusive of students' linguistic and cultural backgrounds, right? And, and, and thinking about their identities. We talk about representation and representation matters, right? And so thinking about uh, LGBTQIA students, re- representation matters. And so they need to see themselves in the curriculum, in the materials. So I always go back to what uh, Cynthia Nelson said in her, her 2006 article, right? And so she said that the language class, language education is mostly a monosexual, she said, meaning mostly heterosexual space in relation to research endeavors, curriculum materials, and practice. And so, for if if the students aren't seeing themselves reflected in the curriculum in the textbooks, I think of um, my colleague Josh uh, Paith, um, and so he his two thousand and fifteen article talked about basically the heteronorm, uh, talked about heteronormativity in the textbooks and the pervasive uh, heteronormativity in, te- in textbooks. And so students, again, need to see themselves represented, represented, they need to feel included. And if we're not doing that, then, then we're not serving our students. We're not creating that inclusive classroom that we should be creating. And so this for me um, is the reason why teachers, as well as university, everyone should care um, about queer representation. Thank
2: you. Thank you very much, James. Uh, I just hope to add, because I think in the field of education, we emphasize diversity, equity, and inclusion. So uh, we always think it's important for us to provide equitable uh, educational practice for students of diverse backgrounds. So yes, we take care of students of diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds. Uh, we think it's important for us to work with uh, like, students with disabilities and students who are English learner students and uh, students who are from lower socioeconomic status. So of course, we also work with students who, are, uh, who have the LGBTQIA backgrounds. I think this is part of the beauty of diversity. And it's, if we want to address that, if we want to work with the students of diverse backgrounds, uh, so we also need to address like hearing education and emphasize this gender-friendly, yeah, identity-friendly education.
0: I- I still remember uh, when I was a little elementary school kid, there was always like this, like there was always like African-American month, like heritage month, right? And then slowly when I went to middle school at the, or towards the end, there was finally like uh, Latin X or, or like Hispanic heritage month, right? But never was there like pride month, right? And like, that was like a no-no thing at, at my school where we had like, uh, uh, morning prayer at the flag, and I was like, Ooh. you could you could tell what kind of culture the my high school was at. Um, so the fact that uh, it's like it's like there's spheres of diversity, and it's like the the LGBTQI community is always the last one, or like the the differently abled people are always the last one to be included. It's always like the physical diversity that we see first, and then it's the it's the sexual orientation that's like the last one, right? But that's so close to a person's identity. Do you wanna talk about that?
1: It. Is, I agree. It is definitely close to, it's part of the, so I take a post-structuralist approach to identities as multiple as Whedon says in 1987 in her book, the multiple contested contradictory. But, but as part of the multiple identities that we all inhabit as speaking subjects in this world, being, identifying um, that, that LGBTQIA plus identity is one of the multiple identities and it needs to be affirmed in the classroom, right? And and I'm thinking about what you just said in relation to that it's kind of one of the last ones to kind of go. And if you look in schools too, some some schools I visited, the pride month, you don't really see, right? There's no affirmation of LGBTQIA plus identities. And so this is all the more necessary then. We need to do this in our classrooms, right? If the schools aren't doing it, then we have to, uh, us as educators, we have to do that in our classrooms to compensate for what or the lack of attention to that, to that those identities um, in the rest of the school. Right. Yeah,
0: it's like so. I have multiple identities, right? Being gay, Asian, Buddhist, uh, refugee, poor, like, like low socioeconomic backgrounds. Those are all my identities. And to say you're free to show this, this, and this about you but this part you should really hide, right? So it's like, I start to question like, if that part of me is not okay, maybe the other parts of me are not okay as well. So this is why we say we need to to welcome and celebrate the whole student, not just the part that's convenient for us to do that during certain months.
1: Exactly, couldn't agree more. I think that's very well said.
0: So let's move to your research. Can you talk about uh, your research in this paper?
2: Yeah, I can start. So uh, yeah, this uh, research uh, consists of a couple of case studies uh, in which we use uh, TPRS, which is uh, teaching uh, proficiency through reading and storytelling, and also CI, which is a uh, comprehensible input. Uh, we use this method to uh, uh, work with uh, teachers uh, in a teacher education program and uh, in which uh, we try to uh, embody this uh, and uh, to to showcase like how we can queer uh, language education in the classrooms.
1: Yeah.
0: So take us into your research. What What was your case study about and how did it work?
1: Okay. um, So basically these were two um, Mandarin workshops, um, two three-day Mandarin workshops. One of them was in 2016 and the other was in 2018. And so in the one workshop, um, there were 43 participants. In the other workshop, the Mandarin B, there were 41 participants. There was also a survey that was um, sent out after that. Um, And so so basically in relation to the study, so we were looking at ways that TPRS could be a way for troubling how and when I say troubling, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But troubling how languages are taught, as well as the content in it that that is taught in and through TPRS. And so, what do I mean by troubling? So I return to queer theory or, and queer pedagogies. But first, the queer theory. And so, queer theory is just a way of making strange, as Sullivan in two thousand one talks about. What does that mean to make strange? So, upending normal right? And so in language instruction, what we're saying, what we're basically arguing in in this article too, as well as some previous articles, um, is basically that, you know, there's these kind of normal ways, what we call normal ways of teaching languages, right? And so what we're saying is that TPRs can be a queer way or a way to upend how languages are taught. So for example, these co-constructed stories, personalized questions and answers. Um, so this can be a, a different way for teaching languages and focusing heavily on comprehensible input. So taking that back to Crash and as well as others that have taken up that notion as well since then. And so now in terms of the content, this we were looking at so we were looking at teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling as a way to. Look at these stories and see: Can this be a way to to deconstruct or to challenge heteronormativity in the classroom or in the content? And so, as we observed in these um, in these two uh, case studies or in these um, classrooms rather, we saw that there were opportunities where people, for example, where the stu- where the teacher was able to challenge heteronormativity with the students, where um, things were not, as I said earlier, almost left heteronormativity unquestioned. So where the teacher did, was able to challenge heteronormativity, not leave it unquestioned. Um, so basically, that's kind of a summary of um, what I would I see in relation to this article, as well as this research, but it lay, could you add anything if you uh, would like?
2: I also hope to add, uh, like, uh, uh, in, in our in our uh, article, like, yes, we use uh, TPRS and CI, and uh, we also like advocate for this uh, querying education, and uh, uh, inclusion, and uh, we, like, using this kind of methods, uh, I think it's also important for us to learn from, like, uh, not only using these methods, but also, like, uh, try to be, uh, self-reflexive and have this kind of critical self-awareness when we work uh, with teachers, when we work with students to promote this kind of sense. Uh, yeah So
0: tell us about uh, in your article I read there was a story, like a transcript. could you be help would you help us go through the transcript that story of what it look what does it look like to actually queer language in uh, a multilingual classroom?
2: So uh, yeah, I hope to give a background. So in TPRS, uh, usually teachers and the students they co-construct the stories. They come up with the stories together, and uh, while telling these stories, uh, students uh, learn the language. Yeah, practice uh, the new linguistic knowledge, language knowledge, and then uh, the the teacher uh, wants to tell a story about David and Robert, and then uh, <clears throat> the the. First, uh, the teacher talks about uh, a story between Robert and Michelle. So from the name, you can uh, tell it's a male and a female. And then the students said, uh, like the the teachers first said, Robert gives uh, Michelle chocolate. And then the students added, romantically. And then the teacher said, oh, Robert gives uh, uh, Michelle a chocolate uh, chocolate romantically. And then uh, the teacher uh, moved to talk about uh, the relations between David and Robert. And then the the students said, oh, David likes Robert. So they come into this space and then uh, the teacher said, "Okay, David uh, gave uh, Robert Hershey's chocolate. And then the students add, "Uh, yes, uh, David gave Robert uh, the chocolate romantically. And uh, Robert uh, likes uh, David as well. So while co-constructing the stories, uh, the teachers and the students, they come up with these ideas and then they gradually like transition uh, into, into this uh, gender-friendly, LGBTQIA-friendly space. And uh, yeah, so the teachers work with the students together, which uh, like challenges this kind of uh, normality, yes. Okay, so in this
0: transcript, it was the teacher, first of all, thank you for telling us about what uh, TPRS is. It was like, oh, wait, I don't know what it is. It's great for you to tell me. Thank you for that background, and then the transcript. It was the first example was Michelle and Robert, right? And then the and then how did they transition between like uh, two men?
2: So uh, the so first of all, uh, the the teacher comes came up with the example of uh, Robert and Michelle. And then the students like provided the context, okay, they are in a relationship, in a romantic relationship. Uh, So so the the teacher followed this uh, thread and they talk about like how Robert gave Michelle the chocolate romantically. And then uh, the teacher uh, come up with another two fictional uh, characters. It's uh, Robert and David. So yeah, and then the students uh, continued this co- uh, co-construction of the stories and the students uh, proposed, okay, so uh, they uh, they also have a romantic relation and then they, uh, Robert gave David uh, the chocolate romantically. Yeah, that's how it goes.
0: Right. So now what happens when um, students are, so they're co-constructing, this is wonderful, this is very similar to the language experience approach, but uh, so not but, but and, what if students are like, this is kind of weird, I don't, I'm not, culturally, I'm not used to talking about two men or two women in this way. What do you do with that?
1: Really, I, and I'm thinking back to like, and uh, I'm gonna use part of um, the article or a transcript out of the article. So for example, in table nine, um, so this is around, um, basically the teacher is is telling a story co-constructing a story with the students and it's around um donald trump and obama right and so are they friends so it starts out by asking things like that um who is this you know are they friends um and so it leads later on to basically as we see in table nine that um the teacher says it's a secret it's a secret why is this secret because they are friends they are friends and then the teacher says they are boyfriends and 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 so the students erupt in laughter, right? Now, um, in, in terms of laughter, we can look at laughter as maybe a few in a few different ways, right? It could be students being a little uncomfortable with, for example, um, two, two um, men being romantically involved together, right? Or it could be just around these two characters, right? That are um, now romantically linked. We, we you know, we, we, we can surmise. But in terms of dealing with, anything that may, uh, that may come up or a student or students who may be uncomfortable with this. Um, this goes back to really what I think about queer theory, right? So again, upending normal, making strange. And so I think about ne- Nelson's 1999 seminal article on sexual identities in East ESL. And so she basically in that article, she looked at a community college classroom where Roxanne, the the pseudonym for the um, teacher, basically um, used queer theory in the classroom. And so what happened was the students, for example, were looking at a worksheet, they had to choose, they were looking at modal verbs, et cetera, et cetera and the teacher had to um or the students you know there was the thing like that's where it said two women are walking arm in arm and they could say they could be this they could be friends they could be lesbians they could be that and so basically so Cynthia Nelson recorded this classroom transcript or this classroom discussion excuse me around this uh, discussion of this number four on the worksheet and so basically the teacher used it as a way to not just predicate it on inclusion versus excluded. So the problem, the thing with, the thing that Cynthia Nelson says about inclusion, exclusion, right, taking that um, approach, right, because we ask who gets included and who gets excluded. And so, for example, if we're showing depictions of, you know, what uh, LGBTQIA people look like, are we just post, are we just, Putting some, you know, for white middle upper class person up there. You know, so she advocates again for queer theory. So to deconstruct how it even became normal, and for you to approach that or approach that sentence, they could be lesbians or they two women walking arm in arm, to get you to think about why you even approached it the way that you did. So thinking about the interpretations that you have, the assumptions that you may have about when you look at something or look at a group of if you look at two women arm in arm together, why you're looking at it the way that you do. And so this for me, and especially I've been in some different um, how do I want to say this environments that are not as amenable to this to LGBTQIA issues. And so for me, queer theory has been a way to kind of get around that, but also to to get the to get the students to think about why they're thinking about sexual identities or gender identities in the ways in the ways in which they are and to get them to deconstruct to, mm-hmm. to see that it's just you know it's very it's, it's social and it's cultural the reasons that, that you are thinking the way that you are and to right. challenge those ways right. to be more inclusive of various identities in the world right,
0: right. cuz beliefs are thoughts that have been planted when we were young Right. And then exactly. we, we nurture them until they're a uh, force, and we have to really think, "Hmm, this is the force that I want to be in." Exactly. So now, what happens when teachers or admins, uh, they learn about what we do, and this wonderful approach, and they're like, "Hmm, are you trying to convert kids? What do you do about that?"
1: Great question.
0: Because the gays are out there trying to recruit, aren't we?
1: Uh, of course, all the time. I'm uh, all the time, every day, <laughs> right? That's. I have a to... quota, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to check that off. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, so I I would also draw on the ideas from uh, cultural, uh, culturally responsive and uh, relevant and uh, sustaining pedagogies, like when we work with students of diverse backgrounds, when we uh have. Teacher education like uh, programs with teachers, uh, like we, uh, it is not our ultimate goal like to convince everyone or to coerce everyone to like uh, you know to do the to this same exact way to work with students of different backgrounds like LGBTQIA plus uh, racial and ethnic minority English learner students. So uh, as uh, Tan and James you both mentioned, I think it's important for us to like to plant. A seat in the teacher's minds like it's important for us to make them understand like invite them to understand the importance of uh the friendly educational environment is for students and also for teachers themselves rather than like uh, telling them okay you should do this way you should do this way uh that is not like uh the idea of culturally sustaining or like uh gender identity friendly environment yeah so that's my uh opinions uh, also based on this article. Yeah. Right.
0: It all comes down to relationships with students. If students feel like they are not represented, but it, oh, they just feel like the teacher doesn't get them, they're going to like, well, OK, I'm just going to be in your class until we finish the end of year, but I'm not going to relate to you. And I'm going to do the minimal work. But when a, when a student feels like, OK, you get me, you see me, and you value me, I'm going to invest more in this lesson or in this year with you
2: yeah, as the famous saying goes, students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. <laughs>
1: That's right. You know that that makes me think of when I'm in my second or third year of, of K through twelve teaching uh, back around like 2014. So I had a student. Um, this was in a conservative school in in a rural area of the southeast. And so the student she identified as lesbian. Um, teenager, and so she she basically was labeled as the troubled student by others in the school. And I wondered oftentimes was it due to because they didn't like her because she identified as a lesbian and et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, and when I brought her when she decided to take Spanish one with me, she came into my class and I valued her identity. Right now, I couldn't speak about my identity, but it was pretty well known in the community, right? It's a small rural place. They knew they knew who I was. And so she really flourished in my classroom because it goes back to what you guys were both just saying, which is the student has to know that you care about them. And I was in, and I showed that in my teaching and also in my interactions and everything. So the the behavioral issues that that other teachers spoke of in relation to her did not occur in my classroom because I valued her identities. I also let her write about what she wanted. When we did role plays, she and other female students could play wives together and do what they wanted. So again, it's about letting the students feel valued in the classroom, right? It's about making them feel valued and affirming their identities and saying, I value you. And you do that through the practice through your practice.
0: When a teacher stands with an LGBT student, LGBTQI student, plus student. The students feel like, "Wow, I am safe here. It really matters." I still remember when I was many, many years ago in my last year of high school, and I was, I put my name in to be a prom queen, and the school took that. I was like, "Okay, Tan, do you really want to be prom queen? Because we can put your name down on a ballot." And I, and I was like you're really going to consider this? I thought you were just going to go rip it out because I just wanted to make a statement that I, I, we can do this and I can do this and I have the right to do this. Um, and of course, I, I didn't identify, identify as a woman. So I said, no, that's, you know, I just wanted to test to see if this was okay. And that was enough for me to know that I was accepted because they were going to say, yes, your name's going to be in the ballot. if you say, yes, because we want to honor that. And this was like a very uh, conservative, Community and yet when they did that I will always remember that teacher who stood up for me.
1: That's great. That's really excellent Again, you're gonna always that's what I always say you the impact the teachers make on students. You'll never know sometimes right. But you always got to think about that impact right. that you're making every right. single day
0: right. And I think it's particularly important because both of both uh, you and I James are identify as gay but uh, they you don't. You you said you don't identify as gay, but yet you still support the LGBTQI plus community. So tell us about that messaging that you have to uh, to teachers who are not queer identified.
2: I think uh, yeah, it's really important. Uh, like we as educator, we as educators don't like work alone by ourselves because I think uh, the communicative work, the collaborative work is always important. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, I uh, I I I think it's uh, important. Like when we focus on the pedagogies themselves, and we focus on like such as uh, TPRS and CI, it's not only it's not only. Of course, they are important, but it's not only about the methods themselves. It's also through our uh, critical awareness. It's also through our collab- collaborative work, and uh, also it's about the environments. Like uh, I understand, like. Uh, students they need to be recognized but i think uh, t- uh the individual teachers one or two is definitely not enough like uh we need to collaborate with each other uh for the uh, for the agenda like uh lgbtqia uh context and identity and also for the for for all like very important the diverse and equitable agenda like uh race and ethnicity like uh yeah, socioeconomic status, like uh, multicultural, multilingual, all these kind of settings, I think it's important for us to work together. Like we, we can't expect like one teacher to you know work by themselves and can overcome everything. I think that's unrealistic and also that's irrespectable as well.
0: Right, that goes back to Dr. John Hattie's work on collective teacher efficacy. When everyone comes together to say, we, we believe in this, not just one teacher, that believes in this, they so the student feels like, oh, I'm not just safe in, uh, in, doc- in Mr. Gian's room. I'm safe in every single classroom, right in the at uh, the school. So let's end with this. What is one simple way to start uh, querying language uh, that you would recommend teachers can use or can start with?
2: Yeah, I think uh, the simple you uh Tan, you just mentioned uh, one uh simple uh step right the first step i think the first step is always with our uh educators ourselves like i think uh before we reach out uh before we uh like think about like rely on others we need to have this critical self reflexive practice like we need to be open uh, like it change the change starts with ourselves and uh, be open to students to our colleagues to the environment like we need to uh, listen instead of like uh, just relying on our past experiences and then make decisions
1: yeah so to start off i would say that it would be basically showing that you are being inclusive of identity of various identities right so that means on the thing the things that you have on your wall in your k-12 through classrooms Starting off, for example, with your own pronouns, right? So, which pronouns do you use um, in in relation to yourself? And then also, when you're starting with, like, for example, an interest inventory, like in in the K twelve system, right? And I also do that too in my uh, in my university classes to to learn about my students' backgrounds and what their interests are, but to also put put it out there on your first day of class. So, what pronouns do you identify? Make sure it's something that like a form it could be a google form or something you're asking you're starting off the classroom then by saying okay so i want to know more about you i want to know what what, how i should refer to you um also creating i would say another way to on that first day is to make sure that you're creating a classroom of respect of respect towards others and make sure that that is prominent that the students know that from day one for example and you can co-construct these rules of respect together something that i did in my k through 12 and and especially in relation to any you know you may be in the classroom you may discuss what are considered to be controversial topics right and so you need to cultivate that respect for differences and to also respect for one another too right that 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 we are showing that we are all in this together
0: Well, what a wonderful way to end. And thank you for advocating for the queer community, both in terms of teachers, but also students. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things at work and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. Teachers are practicing culturally sustaining and relevant pedagogy more and more. Let's include students' queer identities as something we integrate in our instruction throughout the year and not just in June. For example, I often integrate my queer identity in vocabulary instruction that I share with my students. A second example is during the social studies unit when I was teaching my 8th graders about human rights. We looked at same-sex marriage as a case study of human rights. When my queer identity lends itself to teaching curriculum, I integrate it without forcing it into every part of my instruction. I encourage you to find ways to integrate the queer community into your practice so that students and colleagues can bring their whole self. You do not have to be queer identifying to stand with the queer community in truth we need you to stand with us your queer students their families and your queer colleagues thank you for listening i'll see you soon be safe and be rooted in peace it's your turn to play traffic light teaching tweeted me either your red yellow or green light from this particular episode